dealing with 1 Peter chapter 3, living in a crisis. The word crisis in Greek is to make a judgment or a decision. A judgment or a decision. And I'd like to recap, but first of all, everyone needs a joke first at the beginning. So we're going to begin with a joke. An old woman visits a lawyer to draw up a will. He completes the process and charges her $100. Not too bad. She hands him a crisp, brand new $100 bill. And as she turns to leave, the lawyer notices, you know how sometimes you get two 100s and they're stuck together? Or two $1 bills and they're stuck together? There's another $100 bill stuck to it. So he has a moral dilemma. And it's causing him great discomfort because he can't decide if he should or should not tell his partner. That's bad. Okay. During Congress, they had a meeting about health care. A speaker asked, he said, well, what food causes extreme suffering? You know, healthy foods and the foods are bad for your heart, so good for your heart. Bacon's always first on the list and it tastes so good, right? Which food causes extreme suffering? Even after years of being eaten and someone raised their hand and said, wedding cake. (laughs) We're going to do a little bit of a recap. So... (laughs) Verse 7, so verses 1 to 7 is a choice or a decision to be in subjection. <laughs> People save them for a year, they keep saving and keep putting that in the freezer, right? So, <laughs> Let's look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, kind of a recap on living in, deciding to be in subjection. It's not just the wife being in subjection to the husband. It's the husband being in subjection to the Lord to fulfill his role in the marriage. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not Hindered. A man in Gary Thomas said, I don't believe couples fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. And I really believe that, that you just let something get in the way and some little disagreement becomes kind of a thorn in your side, then it becomes a bitterness, and it just kind of never goes away. So it's interesting because the Bible says we're heirs together in the grace of life. And then it says, you know, that your prayers would be hindered if you don't get along in your, in your marriage. And it says, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to have the opposite of being, having your prayers hindered, that your prayers would have power, that the exceeding, uh, that, 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 that prayer, that, of that, see that fervent prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says avails much. Well, how about a righteous team of a husband and a wife praying together, working together for God? You know, uh, the closest relationships, we need to make sure they're working to honor God so that our influence for God is strong and it's effective. So someone wrote this. I don't know who wrote it. It wasn't me. Can't claim uh, the the, uh, credit, but it says a wall or a bridge. And on this, just to to finish the recap, a wall or a bridge. They say a wife and husband bit by bit 
can rear or build between themselves a mighty wall. So thick they cannot speak with ease through it, nor can see across it. It stands so tall. Its nearness frightens them, but each alone is powerless to tear its bulk away. And each dejected wishes he had known through such a wall some magic thing to say. So, let us build with master art, my dear, a bridge of love between your life and mine. A bridge of tenderness and very near. A bridge of understanding, strong and fine. Till we have formed so many lovely ties, there will never be room for wall to rise. And then there's a question, are we building walls or bridges with those closest to us? You know, the same stone that you can build a wall with can build a bridge. And you know, many times if you go through something uh, uncomfortable, causes you discomfort, it can begin to build a wall in your life or it can begin to build a bridge in your life. There are people that have gone through so many discomforts in their life. You know what they do? They just take those blocks and they set them down and they build a bridge across something. And you know that I believe God can make all of us bridge builders. So verse 8 to 13. So that was the recap. Let's be bridge builders. Verse 8 to 13. A decision... To reach out. A decision to reach out. A decision to also go through some suffering in the midst of it. Verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love is brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. That means if someone gets on you, you don't get on them back. But contrary wise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. In verse 10, I'm going to read a few more verses and go over this block. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. That word means deceit. Let him eschew evil, turn from evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? A decision to reach out. You know that even though we're going through things, we make a decision. We can make a decision to be subject to God and to reach out to others in love. I like what it says. Contrary wise. You know, when people treat you a certain way, it's very common to want to, you know, if someone hits you, you want to hit them back. Did you ever play that where someone hits you in the shoulder and they say, pass it on. So you take it and you, pow. You ever play slug bug when you were a kid? You see a Volkswagen bug, slug bug, and you wouldn't, 
give someone a dollar, you would hit them. Pow! Right? And so humanity, it seems like it's, you know, uh, I, I was raised in a rough home, so I'm just going to pass that on to someone else. I'm going to pass that on to my wife or my children. But the Bible says that Christians, contrarywise, when people curse us, what should we do? We should bless them. I tell my daughter this often when we're going to school. I said, what are, what, are you, what are three things that you can do to people who are your enemies? You know, we should treat our friends right, but how do we treat our enemies? And so it's from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. Because Jesus really says that the way we love people is we actually don't treat them the way we are treated. We treat them the way God treats us. But I say unto you, Jesus said, love your enemies. So my my daughter will say, love them, bless them, or love, three ways you can love your enemies. Bless them, pray for them, and do good unto them. And that is exactly what Jesus said. Because even though they might treat you a certain way, you're like, oh yeah? And you turn them back and say, hey man, bless you. Can I buy you a burrito from Taco Bell? Say, you'd never do that to an enemy. Why not? Because you'll tear down their walls and you'll build a bridge. I've shared this before, but in Washington State, I went into the wrong entrance in a construction uh, area. And they were getting ready to lay blacktop. And this man came out and he cursed me up and down, told me to move my truck, which was a semi. So it was a tractor trailer and it was hard to back up and I had to get some help. And he was just telling me to get out of there. But I... I was trying to ignore the guy because I had to get out of my truck and find out how to back up. And um, it was a short bed, like a 24-foot bed trailer and a little, uh, I don't know, it was an international or something. But So anyway, I finally got out of there. I went back to my shop, loaded the shotgun. No, I didn't do that. You know, that's what, that's what the world tells you to do. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call your boss. And No, I, we used to give away coffee cups. It's called GTS Drywall. So it was a little plastic bag and it had the wide bottom. It was a plastic coffee cup. And so I asked my boss, I said, Steve, can I bring a coffee cup to this guy? Who? The guy that cursed me out. Next time I went back, I went in the right entrance. You know, that was a good start. And uh, I walked right up to the dude. And I didn't say a word. And I just thrust the coffee cup out to him. And you know what happened to him? He hung his head like in shame. And he put out his hand and he introduced us to, I think his name was like Virgil. I mean, he wasn't even from Florida. He was from Washington State. My name's Vern, okay? But really, right? They're up in Washington State too, right? What happened there? I didn't build a wall, I built a bridge. And you know that that's something that any of us can do, but you have to choose to bless when you're cursed. It's a choice of a Christian to reach out in blessing and it is uncomfortable but that's exactly how you do it and you can all do it and it'll be something you remember for years and years and years I don't remember how much I made that week but I do remember what happened on that job site I don't remember uh, you know the you know anything else I don't remember the preaching that I heard that weekend but I remember that and when you do something that influences someone's life you'll remember it so you know how you know it feels to treat someone inappropriately. Have you ever been treated someone inappropriately and they turn around and bless you? Yee, it makes you feel bad, right? Right, there's power in that, right? So there's a poem that says, I would be true for there are those who trust me. I would be pure for there are those who care. 
I would be strong, for there is much to suffer. I would be brave, for there is much to dare. I would be friend of all, the foe, the friendless. I would be giving and forget the gift. I would be humble, for I know my weakness. I would look up and laugh and love and lift. Howard A. Walter. So verses 14 to 18, after we reach out, when you reach out, guess what you're going to get to do? And it's no fun. Suffer. And I wish I could say that Christianity was just a big ball of, you know, of uh, blessings and internet memes of people just like, you know, hey, we're all smiling and it's so fake because we all go through stuff. Have you ever read the Psalms? Man, we face stuff and there's, and I say, well, preacher, if I have anxiety, I'm not a Christian. Man, Christians face all kinds of stuff. You know what? We just love God through it and we love people through it. And we ask for God to do something through it. That's why people, they, they worship God and they lift up their hands. Why? They've got real needs in their life. So, but I've got to make a decision to suffer. Say, preacher, I don't want that Christian. Is this like New Testament Christian church Christianity? No, but it is New Testament Christianity, as we'll read in verse 14. But and if ye suffer, there you go, for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Hmm. Really? And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's the most important thing when you are going through something. To put God in the middle of your heart that you don't get bitter. No root of bitterness gets in there. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I'm going to explain these verses in a moment. Let me do three more verses. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers. You know, people mock you for going to church, getting off early, going to church. You know what Pharaoh said? You want to go worship? Get back to your burdens, you know? You're doing important work building my kingdom. You know what? Work's important, but man, serving God is important too. You know what? When, when you retire from that place, they're not going to know who you are in a few years. There'll be people that switch out and everything. They're not going to let you, they're not going to let you borrow the work vehicle after you retire. In the military, when they, when they cancel your ID card, you're not welcome on base anymore. Unless you retired. Okay? You're not. I know. I'm not. And my ID card's like pink. I mean, it's like, I don't show it to people, right? I think it's supposed to be red, but it looks pink, right? And for Marines, that's not very cool. But anyhow, the Bible says, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or life in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing, than for evil doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but be but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. So when you go through something, brethren, we all do. Even you, preacher, I don't like it, but I do too. I tell my wife, like, man, I don't like this. Man, I don't, right before Christmas, and I was trying to save money, and I got one bill. And then my car decided to 
regurgitate all my transmission fluid all over the place and make a modern art masterpiece on the asphalt there. Still there. You can go see. I'll, I'll, I'll guide you. It starts like 400 yards across the street, comes in. It's like a nice pencil line, and then it goes to like like a Rorschach test. Isn't that what they give with a psychiatrist and his blobs? And what's that? It's a pink cloud, a puffy cloud, right? So I've got, I've got some artwork on the church. And, and so preacher, just don't fix it, right? I tried to fix it myself. I was under that car, and then I told my wife, forget it. I'm getting it towed in. That and other things. And you said, preacher, well, what, you know, what do you ask sometimes when things, you, you ask why, right? And then another thing you ask yourself when you're going through things and it just doesn't seem like it's ending. It just, you pray and it gets worse. <laughs> what does it all mean? Well, I got an answer for you. Who knows? I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea. Why did I go through that before? I didn't have any idea. It's like, do you pay your tithe? Yes. And I go to all the church services. I'm the pastor. I read my Bible and pray. I mean, it's not to a preacher. Why? Well, you know what? Maybe that's not the right question. Sometimes we have to ask the right question. Instead of what does it all mean or why, here's a good question. And we can ask this to ourselves when we go through something that is, is uncomfortable. If we suffer, if we face something, ask yourself this. What does it all mean to me? What does it mean to me? And that makes a difference because it can mean one thing to one person and one thing to someone else. You know that sometimes failures are the greatest things that can happen in our life? You know why? Because you don't change your game plan if you're winning, do you? But when you start losing, you say, ooh, 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 we need to change something. You know, if you're sleeping and the cockroach keeps falling on your head, Instead of raindrops, it's like, we got to change something, right? But you're not going to do anything until you get that failure, right? That bloop or a raindrop keep falling on your head, right? So you're going to change something. My brethren, it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Really? When you fall into diverse temptations. And it says in the next verse. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, oh, dirty word, patience. But let patience have her perfect work. She would be a woman, too, instead of a man, right? Men are impatient, right? Or if they go to the hospital, they're impatient, right? So. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, mature. So you know what? If I go through something, I can say, praise God. God knows what's going on in this situation. I can just rejoice anyway because the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because God has justified me through his blood. I've got power to stand in the book of Ephesians. Having done all, I can stand. And if I have no strength, I can wait on the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So maybe I just need to wait on the Lord and let God do something in this situation. But it can mean something to me. I can rejoice. So we have a choice when we suffer. We can say, you know what? This is going to be a turning point in my life. Uh, recently, uh, you know, when you get older, I like to run. And recently, it just seems like the more I ran, the more hurt I got. And that's not funny because your times start getting slower. And you begin to realize, oh, 
Maybe the joints aren't wanting to do that anymore. So I got frustrated for a little while, and then I just said, you know what, let's just change. Let's do something else. Now I cook Chinese food. I walk, right? No, but anyway, so but I walk. But you know what? You could get all frustrated, or you could just say, praise God. God knows what he's doing. I'm just going to change, rejoice, and drive forward. Brethren, we all have the choice to say, what does this thing mean to me? And we're going to face this, and we have to make decisions in our life and just pivot and roll forward. Make a decision of what it means to you. Say, God's got something. The Bible says, and we know, that all things work together for good. That's a promise from God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So that means if God's letting something happen to me, even though it's bad, didn't say all things were good. Even though this is a bad thing, I can rejoice because it's an ingredient in God's chocolate chip cookies, right? It's an ingredient. You know, even though you might not like all the ingredients by themselves, you wouldn't eat a pile of salt or baking soda, right? But you put all those ingredients together with the chocolate chips. You got to put those extra ones, take the raisins out, put the chocolate chips in. Our awesome neighbor, she brought us some chocolate chip cookies and they had raisins. I ate them anyway, so I just, but, but oh, chocolate chip cookies. But you know, God's making your life into a chocolate chip cookie, but he's going to apply heat, right? And he's going to mix all those ingredients. You need that salt. Say, preacher, why do you need suffering? Let me tell you one reason. You need to face something. First of all, I read about the devil in the book of Ezekiel and he got proud. You know, in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, uh, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 6, they said, don't make a novice an overseer because they will be lifted up in what? Pride and fall into the condemnation snare of the devil. What do you mean? What's a novice? What has he done? That's the thing. The novice hasn't been through anything. They think that, man, they are like, man, I can't make a mistake. I know everything that's happening. But when you fall a few times, when you mess up a few times, you know what happens? Your pride gets eroded a little bit. You, you make some bad decisions. You run some people, get them mad, get some other Christians mad, get your wife mad, have to apologize a few times. You're not as proud anymore. Man, God can use that. You know, when Moses was proud, you know what he did? He didn't like something. He just killed a man. You know, and uh, God sent him to the desert for 40 years to watch sheep and she step in sheep doo-doo for 40 years. Really, to get that pride out of Moses. But then God used him in a mighty way for the next 40 years of his life. So God wants us. But so when you go through something, uh, let me tell you what you get. You get what's called a platform. You get a platform. So... Uh, when, when I, uh, I got a big scar in my face, but you know what? People are very self-conscious if they have a scar on their face, okay? You can't ask them about it. Unless you have a scar on your face. See, because I got like that little bit of a Freddy Krueger look, I can ask, I say, hey, where did you, what did you do? What happened there? And I can, I can just show, well, I got one too. So we're like, we're on the same level. If you go through something, if something bad happens to your child, if something bad happens to your car, you can identify and help someone else who's been in a similar situation. Let me just show what God can do. So 2 Corinthians, it says, 
in verses uh, chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3 through 7. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And you hear this at funerals, if you've ever been to a funeral. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we, here's the key, may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, if God comforts you, you can comfort someone else and say, hey man, it's going to work out. Well, how do you know? Because I've been through it. How do you know? Can you, can you, what happens when your car breaks down? Okay, let me, let me get you ready. You get it fixed. But what if it just dies? You get another one. <laughs> I went to the hospital preacher and I don't have medical coverage. Okay, it'll work out. Neither do I, right? So, <laughs> Actually, I guess I have the VA, but my wife doesn't. My daughter doesn't. And they've uh, both been to the hospital. What do you do? You get a bill from the hospital. And you pay it. So what's going to happen? It'll work out. So preacher, how can you say that? Because I've been through it. You see, I have a comfort of God that God's going to work out. But what if this happens? And what if that happens? Brethren, we should count it all joy when something happens to us. Because you know what? God is giving me a platform that I can tell somebody about. That I can help comfort someone who needs some comfort because they're uncomfortable. You know that God never promised us comfort, did he? Say, I want to be comfortable. I want a lazy boy Christianity. You know, the big overstuffed chair, and they might be fun to sit in, right? Hard to get, get up out of, right? Unless you have those electric ones. They stand you up, right? But you know that God said we'd be comforted, but not comfortable, right? So God will comfort us when we're uncomfortable, right? But we kind of have to, they say this about special forces, we need to just be comfortable being uncomfortable. I hate to say that, it sounds like a cliche, but brethren, that's kind of what Christianity is. You never know what someone's gonna say to you, you never know what you're gonna face tomorrow, and I just kind of like, well, praise the Lord. One thing Reverend Patterson and I have said, maybe he more than me, is like, God knows. <laughs> God knows. Yeah, I don't know why this happened. God knows. God knows. But I'm just going to go forward because God has something good planned in my life. I just don't know what it is. So what does it mean to me? God's got something good. And I'm going to trust God's heart when I can't see his hands. Verse 19 to 22. A decision to obey. A decision to trust God's salvation. A decision to obey Jesus Christ. By the which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient. This is after Jesus was crucified. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The, fig, the like figure whereunto even baptism, this is water baptism, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers and even the situations you go through, being made subject unto him. You know, we don't go any through anything unless God says it's okay. God is going to let everything happen to us through his hands of grace. So what is baptism anyway? It says they were saved by baptism like Noah and those people were saved in the ark. So, so does baptism save you? No. Because the water didn't save them. Actually, the water killed everybody if you read the, in Genesis, okay? It's true. You know what saved them? Obedience. They built an ark and they got in. You know what the ark looked like? A big coffin. It wasn't meant to be some water dynamic, hydro powered road thing. It didn't have any sails. It was just a big old box to hold life. And the Bible said it was to be sealed with this sealant like caulk, right? Within and without, and it was called pitch. And the word pitch comes from the same word as they use in Leviticus and Exodus for atonement, which comes through the blood. And the Bible says in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, by the shedding of his blood, is made unto us atonement. He is our atonement in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. So the trust in Jesus Christ's death, once we do that, remember that eunuch that had heard the preaching of Philip? And he said, here's water. I want to be baptized. He said, if you believe with all your heart. Because it's important because the water is not going to save you, but your belief in Christ is. See, a figure can't save you, but what a figure represents can save you. What saves you? Jesus Christ's blood and faith in his work on the cross. Now, after that, Jesus commanded us to get baptized in water after we have given our life to Jesus Christ. So it says it in Matthew 28, 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. That means dunking them in water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know why John was baptizing in a place? Because there was much water there. The Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. So we don't just sprinkle you. So is it all right to sprinkle? I think it's all right to do things the way that they're in the Bible. Okay? I just want it because it's a good conscience. So I've been baptized a bunch of times. You know which one counted? The one after I gave my life to Jesus is the one that counted. And... So uh, when you have a good conscience, you want to do what God wants you to do. So after I give my life to Jesus Christ, hey, I need to get baptized. And so they, they called for a baptismal role one time when I was in uh, the servicemen's home and uh, outreach to servicemen in California. And I got baptized in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I didn't see that the heavens were opened or anything. You know what? It was an answer of a good conscience saying, God... I want to show you publicly and show everyone publicly what happened in my heart when Jesus uh, died for me and I accepted his free gift of salvation. And baptism is a representative. You go down, it represents Jesus dying, and then you come back up, represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just representative, but it's a public expression. Jesus commanded. That's why we do it. If you got more questions about it, I ran out of time. So... Uh, Trust Jesus. Make good decisions. And know that, know that when you're facing a crisis, you can ask yourself, 
what does it mean to me? And you know what? That's going to make all the difference if we count it all joy. Amen? So, well, preacher, what if my car breaks down? There's nothing good. Maybe your neighbor will give you a ride to work and you can talk to him about Jesus. You see, that's what really God really cares about. What does it mean to me? Amen. God bless you. This is our prayer. Sister Bigelow, could you dismiss us in prayer? On take two. Thank you, God, for bringing us all here together and for, for filling us up with your word, God, and encouraging our hearts. We ask that you would help us to take it with us, take it with us so that we can share it with others and bring us back together on Thursday. In Jesus' name. Amen.